The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Twister. Uh, my name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. Uh, what are you drinking? Ice cold Coors Light. All right. Also joining us is Mugga. What up, Muggs? What's going on? What are you drinking? I'm... I got a lot going on over here. I got an ultra, some wine, and some fireball. <laughs> I, I think you're doing it right. There you go. It's Saturday. That's a little yeah. smorgasbord of booze. Yeah, I might be a little tipsy towards the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Might be twisted up. <laughs> oh. Uh, Holly Hart is also with us today. What up, Holly? Hi, Kerwin. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a truly mango lemonade. All right, sounds great. And uh, making a return to the show is Holly Murphy. Holly, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. What are you drinking today? I'm also drinking a truly mango lemonade. All right, cool. You guys are all liars. You all have fireball next to you as well. Don't act like I'm the only one. I don't know what you're talking I about, I will neither dude. confirm nor deny. We're all alcoholics. Uh, so today we are talking about Twister, released May 10th, 1996. It stars Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, Jamie Gertz, uh, Carrie Elways, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, it's directed by Jan DeBont, written by Michael Crichton and Anne-Marie Martin. It's produced by Warner Brothers Pictures, Universal Pictures, and Amblin Entertainment, and it is distributed by Warner Brothers. So before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, hit us with the financials. So this movie twisted out around <laughs> 242 <laughs> million domestic. I just, I, I, I tried. Um, yeah, 242 million domestic, which is really good. Um, 253 million foreign, so overall this made around 495 million total. Um, I looked at the budget for this. It was originally supposed to have only 70 million, um, but because of, now Jason, back me up, blue skies were always around, so they had to like CGI in like a bunch of bad weather, correct, and other things? Am I right on that? You're half right. I mean, sometimes there was bad weather, sometimes there's blue skies, but like the when they shot it, the seasons were changing. Right. So like it was just, you know, erratic so weather. So I think that lot. pushed it to, I think at the very end, they finally end up costing this. Uh, movie to make only 92 million. So it's like 22 million over budget. They originally projected at 70. But again, in 1996, May 10th, um, some big movies were around at the time. I think this was in theaters the same time as Mission Impossible, which it outdid. Do you guys know of any other movies during that year that it outdid? 101 Dalmatians and The Rock. It did come in second. It did come in second that year. There was a movie that actually beat it though. Because this made 495, the other one made close to 800 million. Independence Day. It is Independence Day. Yeah. Will Smith. Yeah. Leave but to Will uh, Smith, yeah. but yeah, very very successful movie. Um, yeah. So those are the finances. All right, Jason. Uh, what do the people think about this movie? So on Rotten Tomatoes, critics, uh, 57 percent of them liked it, giving it a average rating of 5.96 out of 10. Um, the audience gave it a 58. So. Within a percentage point, I think that's pretty rare that we see that. So 58% of the audience gave it a 3.5 or higher with an average rating of 3.46. There was over 894,000 votes. Um, we look at IMDb, they gave it a 6.4 out of 10, a little bit higher than we saw in Rotten Tomatoes with 166,000 votes. So, and again, the demos here, very close. So I'm not going to go over all them with you. Um, I went on RogerEbert.com, who gave it two and a half stars. This is kind of a long quote, but I'm just going to read it real quick because there's a couple times where I left. Uh, so it starts out by saying, quote, Melissa is not happy. 
One, one minute she's engaged to handsome young Bill Harding, who has a promising career as a TV weatherman ahead of him. The next minute, she's cowering in a pickup truck while tornadoes blow houses at her. And Bill can't wait to find another tornado. Quote, when you told me you wanted to chase tornadoes, she tells him, I thought that was a metaphor. It is a metaphor, Melissa, but not for Bill's dream. It's a metaphor for Twister, a movie that chases tornadoes with such single-minded dedication that plot, character, dialogue, and even your engagement all disappear into the suck zone, which is, we it's learn, that part of the tornado that sucks up everything in its path. By the end of the film, we have seen trees... TV towers, drive-in theaters, trucks, houses, barns, and even cows sucked up by the zone. Well, maybe only one cow. I think it's the same one. It's coming past again, Bill tells Joe. I just thought that was hilarious, oh so gosh. I had to read that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's the reviews. All right, uh, so Jason, uh, why don't you take us behind the scenes? Surprisingly, when I was doing some research on this, or a lot of research, there's a lot to this movie, but I want to start out with some of the basics. So this yeah I know right I, I was like this is going to be an easy movie to do and then I started diving into this and I'm like oh shit shouldn't have chose this one because uh, there's a lot to it um, so just basic so like this sounds like a very remedial question but do you guys know how tornadoes are formed no when hot air and cold air kind of cross paths and doesn't it create like hot air rises cool air falls and it creates yeah essentially you're, you're exactly right so um, the way I went on, it's called weatherwizkids.com. <laughs> and so we have kids explaining this to us. Say that again. I think it's weatherwizkids.com. Yeah, I'm sourcing all my stuff. Children are teaching us how weather works. So um, I'm just going to read this real quick. Uh, most tornadoes are, are from thunderstorms. You need warm, moist air from the Gulf of Mexico and cool, dry air from Canada. So that kind of makes sense why these happen in the Midwest. Right. Um, when these two air masses meet, they create instability in the atmosphere, a change in wind direction, and increase in wind speed with increasing high creates an invisible horizontal spinning effect in the lower atmosphere. Uh, rising air within the updraft tilts the rotating air from horizontal to vertical. An area of rotation two to six miles wide now extends through much of the storm, most strong and violent tornadoes from within this area of strong rotation. So so again, that, that kind of makes sense why middle America, that's where we see a Tornado lot of these tornadoes. Alley, right? Well, there's so, not a lot of mountains too, because usually you have mountains that like, that's why not a lot happened yeah. in California, because mountains like offset a lot of that. It's a lot of flatland. Yeah. The so, only reason I know this is because my mom's from the Midwest. Like, she's from Nebraska. So she's actually, like, survived a tornado and, like, has explained to me because I was questioning her, which we could probably get into with experience of, like, I can smell when it's going to rain. Like, there's something in the air that smells like it's going to rain. And, like, they were talking about you can feel when a tornado is coming. And I asked her about it and she confirmed that you can. So we'll get into that a little bit later. That but. must be the scariest feeling of all time. Yeah. Right? God. No, but it's funny because like she's terrified of earthquakes. Whereas like most of us in California have lived through a thousand. We sleep through yeah, them. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Like it's not a big deal. But like she grew up with tornadoes and has seen like a tornado, like a small one, like go down the street and didn't even get into like a storm shelter. Which for me, I'm like, if I even know that there's a tornado like anywhere, I'm getting underground. I'm in the fetal position. I'm probably crying. Like, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So, I mean, my mom, same thing. She grew up in the Midwest and they moved state to state a lot because of my grandpa, like changing jobs or a company moving them from, you know, uh, store to store. So I think she said one time when they lived in Davenport, Iowa, that they saw a tornado come down their street one time. Now, thank God their house didn't get demolished, but... One thing that they talk about in some of this research, and she also told me too, it's like, we see it in the movie as well. Like when it gets really quiet, like people in the Midwest, they know that something's about to come like a tornado or something. So that's kind of true when we see them react and get really quiet. 
and it goes kind of silent like in the movie like that's kind of how it feels in like midwesterners know like hey like there could be a tornado coming so it's kind of interesting but But yeah it's eerie when it gets quiet here we're not like oh there here's coming a tornado like yeah or it's like oh here comes the ground shaking from an earthquake like we don't think that either it just happens whereas there it's like you get this real eerie feeling sound and or lack of sound and yeah they know there's gonna be an earthquake coming or a tornado sorry but anyway um so one thing that this movie is really based on, so I want to like look into this a little bit, was uh, the contraption Dorothy that they have on there. So it's actually based off of a real object that they nicknamed Toto, which is, I think that's kind of funny that it's from Wizard of Oz. They kind of kept a similar name. So according to the NOAA, or the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, they created Toto uh, in order to do essentially what we see in the movie to uh, deploy this device into a tornado and then gather data from what these little spheres collect. That's like a real thing. Huh? It's a real it's thing. It's not just for the movie. It's not, yeah, it's not just for the movie. Oh, wow. um, I think it was created at the University of Oklahoma, but it never succeeded. So um, they retired it in 1987, um, but it did kind of inspire uh, the screenwriters for this. So it is a real thing, um, but it never really worked. So to make sure that the script was as realistic as possible, the screenwriters and Spielberg consulted with scientists from the NOAA and from the National Severe Storms Laboratory in Oklahoma. And a lot of the actors, even Bill Paxton talks about it. The documentary is called, I forget what it's called, but it's like it's like Twister Revisited. And they, they talked to the scientists and really get a feel for what this was like, how they really deployed this when they were trying to use it. So it was kind of cool that they got real firsthand experience and they tried to talk to these scientists. Um, but now what they use today is something that's ground-based, but it still deploys like these aerial type instruments into the sky. So instead of having something that has to go with the tornado, it's something that's you know based in the ground and then it releases these things as a tornado approaches. So just some behind the scenes on that. So getting into the production of Twister, Twister was produced by Amblin Entertainment, which is Steven Spielberg's company, and then Warner Brothers and Universal backed the film financially. So because they backed it, they agreed that Warner Brothers would get the North American distribution rights and Universal would get the international distribution rights. And this would be the one and only time that Amblin would work with both distribution companies at the same time. So That's crazy because it's kind of down the middle. When I go over the finances, 242 were domestic. I mean, kind of North America. You might have a little bit more in Canada and Mexico, but 253 foreign. Yeah. So it's almost like they both got their share, right? Yeah, they both got back. Yeah. Yeah, So they both they both won on this one. So. Um, so I think that was kind of interesting. Uh, the original idea, um, kind of like what we were talking about in pre-production, was a 10-page tornado concept story by screenwriter Jeffrey Hilton. Uh, he presented it to Spielberg in 1992. I could not find a lot on this guy. I could Some stuff I would look up, uh, it looked like a joke page or it looked like a different person. He has no Wikipedia page, so sorry I don't have a lot of info on him. He did present it to Amblem, but he did not get credit on the film. Uh, Spielberg took the idea to Michael Crichton, uh, who's a novelist and screenwriter. Uh, He wrote Congo, our beloved Jurassic Park. Yes. Your favorite Mugs the Lost World, and then Runaway, among many others. Uh, So him and his wife, uh, Anne-Marie Martin, wrote the screenplay together. Um, They were paid $2.5 million for the screenplay, which I think is pretty good. Yeah. 
So director uh, Jan de Bont uh, would leave Godzilla. Do you remember the the old Godzilla in the early '90s with yeah. uh, Matthew Broderick? Matthew Broderick, yeah. yeah. So he that took place in New York, right? Yeah. So he left that six months into pre-production to come direct Twister. Really? Yeah. Ronald Emmerich would go on to direct Godzilla. Jan also directed Speed. And he worked on other films like Die Hard, Basic Instinct, and Cujo. Not the original Die Hard. He worked on it. He did not direct oh, okay. it. He worked on it. Yeah, so he directed Speed. Got but it. He, worked, he was part of yeah. these other movies, too. So one of the reasons that Jan wanted to direct the film was the rapid rise of CGI that was coming about in the 90s. So he thought that this film might be one of his last opportunities to direct something that would have a lot of you know, large scale, realistic, practical effects. But this is coming from Godzilla, right? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's why he left it. I don't know. But I mean, we'll we'll see. Realistic special effects. Also, the tornadoes and some of the debris, like they did do a lot realistically, which I I appreciate. So we'll we'll find out more about that in in a bit. Um, But this production was plagued with problems, not only from the director, but to the actors, to editing. There's all kinds of stuff that happened. So Joss Whedon, so you guys were talking about, you know him from Buffy the... Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer, an angel. An angel, and then we were talking about Marvel projects he's right. been on. He also did the... He worked on the Justice League movie, so he's done a lot of stuff. He has a pretty good background. Uh, he was brought in to do rewrites uh, through early spring of 95. When he got bronchitis, uh, Steve Zalian came in. He worked on Gangs of New York, Mission Impossible, The Irishman. Whedon then returned and worked on revisions uh, right through the start of shooting in May 95 when he left the project after getting married. Both Whedon and Zalian were paid $100,000 a week for their script doctor services, which I think is amazing. Yeah. I want that job. Yeah. So, like, question, this goes back to, like, the Rock podcast, or which which podcast was it? Was it the Rock that we were talking about? Like, the writing credits of, like, how somebody... It was, was it the Rock or Con Air? The, Michael Bay was uh, the Rock, right? Yeah. 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 I think it was the Rock. So... If we're circling back to when we talked about SAG credit with The Rock, who's technically the writer of this movie? So, I mean, Michael Crichton wrote the original the script. source material, yeah, the actual if you script. will. Yeah. So, according to IMDb, Joss Whedon, he did get credit for this. Okay. Uh, Mugga said he looked up an article and it, he doesn't. He really didn't get credit, but I, it's, I think IMDb is more credible than this. Yeah, but yes. do we need to like pull up the movie and see who got like well, writing here's, credit? Here's the thing about IMDb though. Like IMDb will list officially uncredited oh. works, mm. but if it is proven that you have worked on something, despite whether it's officially credited, it'll still say it. So like maybe, maybe the Writers Guild doesn't give you official credit, but on your IMDb will still say that you worked on it. Okay. So like that's that's kind of how we found out about the writers for uh, The Rock. You know, we found out they worked on it even though they're not listed in the credits, but we still know that they did. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Okay. So two weeks into production, uh, Jeff Nathanson, who, like I said, worked on Rush Hour 2 and 3, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal. He was flown out to the set and worked on script until principal photography ended. So getting into some of the filming, uh, it was shot over a period of 95 days, which... Seems pretty pretty good. Pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. Filming was supposed to take place in California, but was relocated to Oklahoma after Jan DeBont insisted. Filming took place all over the state. 
So from Oklahoma State University to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and was also shot in the real city of Waquita, which I think is yeah. pretty cool. Well, that explains the OU heard, hat, too. I heard they use a bunch of people from Waquita as like extras and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. They use a lot of real Waquita stuff. Because there Wakita was something stuff. that happened in Waquita prior to this, like some sort of, it wasn't a tornado, but a storm, right? Where <sighs> yeah, they there, used kind of like the wreckage of it? or Yeah. So there was a storm, but a lot of people were leaving Waquita to move closer to the city. So uh-huh. the, like the, the, the small town was just left in ruins already. Yeah. Um, so there were still people that lived there, but not a lot at all. And when I mean not a lot, I mean like in the hundreds, like not, it was a very small town. Um, they demolished part of old Wakita to film some of the movie. Uh, the studio then paid for the downtown to be rebuilt. So it's pretty cool. So they like whatever was left and kind of like no man's land out there, they they destroyed it to kind of set the scene, but then the studio rebuilt it, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, another big issue outside of yawn and some of the other things, uh, the weather, so the weather was just very unpredictable. Uh, it was a huge problem in Oklahoma due to the changing of the season. So, you know, one day it's, you know, really bright outside and one day they need to shoot and it's supposed to be overcast and, you know, back and forth. And so it, it proved to be a huge problem. Yeah, that seems like a, it'd be like a real lighting issue, too, especially when you when you think about um, this is a movie about a weather disaster. Oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of ironic that they faced like their own weather problems during the film. Yeah, and they have ILM help them out with some of the CGI stuff, but they say that they didn't use any blue screen for this. So this is really shot out in Oklahoma. They go to Iowa and what stuff like that. What were they thinking of filming this in California? Well, I think like, California what, get consistent weather. That, what part of California, other than maybe a little parts of Central, would look like Oklahoma? But no, but Central California, it's just like open agriculture, that, like... It's yeah. a pretty big part. Like They could have yeah. used that, but I would imagine cost, and then they need some scenes to be overcast, yeah. too, so it's like... Plus, like, I feel like the sequence of the entire movie was only just a few days, so they had to keep it consistent. That, I mean, that's a question that we have that I'll bring up in Trash or Treasure, but yeah. I, I said, is this supposed to be one day? I think or it was like, like one or days. two. Yeah. So, yeah. Like they can't like keep switching between like sunny days. So that yeah, they had to keep it consistent with like the weather. Yeah. What yeah. was going on. So, okay, the filming was then moved to Iowa and shot in small towns with less than 200 people. So some of the towns had like 150, 125 people, very small towns. Some of the shots they had were the Twister Hill scene. Do you remember that when yes. they're backing up the Dorothy and the hail's coming down? So that was shot in Iowa. The cornfield, the F5 tornado, they shot those in Iowa. So one funny thing was the sounds of these tornadoes were created by altering the sounds of many animals, but mainly a camel. Really? Yeah. So they... they I was going to say, what's funny is I wrote, this is in my Trash or Treasure, so spoiler alert, I wrote that a lot of these tornadoes sound like indigestion. Like that's the sound effect. Like it sounds like you had a bad burrito and that's the result of what's going on. Well, that's some real <laughs> shitty weather. <laughs> but I wrote, no, cause it's just like that. Well, it's noise. weird though. Cause they should like most of the time it does sound like that outside of like when they have the, the sister tornadoes. Cause then it sounds like you're taking a, a knife across a plate. Like, was that also supposed to re- represent like the wind hitting the metal? Yeah, I, that's what I took it as. Like, because I'm sure there's a lot of like it's like a sharper. That was yeah. a sharper tornado. Yeah, but it was on the water. Like it's on the water. Like yeah. I, I don't know. But, but the but rest of them, car too. Yeah, that's the like, rest of them sound like bubble guts for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it was just camels. So. Uh, so after filming had wrapped, um, so now they had shot in Oklahoma and Iowa, they had to do reshoots and shoot additional footage in Bolton, Ontario. 
Overcast skies were not always available, so he shot the tornado scenes in bright sunlight and used ILM to digitally sky replace some 300 shots. So the original plan was just to do 150, but he had to go the extra mile and do double that and do 300 different shots that ILM had to go back and, and redo. There were no blue screens, but frame painting and rotoscoping put the CGI tornadoes into it. And I watched a documentary on how they did this because ILM up until this point was used to making like figures or uh, different animals or like T-Rexes and stuff like that, not something that had thousands of millions of billions of particles coming around this tornado. So they had to build like the skeleton of the tornado. They had to build the skeleton of all these buildings around it and how it would come through and how the debris would come off, but then go back and put literally millions of debris, like little particles of debris all around it. So they said that this is the first time that they ever did it, but then it kind of reshaped how they do um, their rotoscoping from there on out. So I thought this is... So not one tornado footage is real. No. Yeah, it's all digital. Something My, real, you're really one. asking that question. No, you never know, like in a background, like where they have it. I mean, there could have been could have one done, like, real one that they caught on camera. You never know. I think, like I think, old weather footage. For, yeah, like they could take old weather footage Something and like composite that, yeah. it. Yeah. But I think, you know, for liability's sake, they probably wouldn't it. do it. Yeah. But I think it's cool that you bring that up, that uh, it kind of forced them to rethink how they approach doing particular effects for films moving forward. Yeah. It's always interesting. Like, it's never a film you think of that is the catalyst for the change in how special effects are, are made moving forward. Like, you know, Gemini Man sucked ass, but like <laughs> when we go back to that episode, we talk about how, you know, uh, the facial mapping, uh, making CGI humans really started because Gemini Man's script existed, you know, 20 years before, 30 years before, and that's what caused all of that. So it's really cool to know that this was one of those kind of films that, that really forced, uh, you know, visual effects to kind of change a little bit. Yeah, because you got to imagine, I mean, they've done animals or, you know, stuff like going back and redoing the Star Wars and doing the special editions of those. Like they've done like beings or something like with surface, but something that has no surface and it's just particles. It's it's pretty cool that it reshaped how they like did CGI for them, at least from there on out. So kind of forced them to learn how to do this. And they just said it was really exhausting because you got to think you don't have any sound either when you're doing this. You don't know what the tornado sounds like. You can't really wrap your head around it. So I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Um, so a lot of the vehicles, the barns being blown over, all the debris, a lot of it was CGI. But some of it, like when we see the the driving theater scene, when like the cars coming in, that's all real wind, right? Kind of um, from a jet. Correct. So okay. they they used two jets from Boeing 707s. So they had two of them, and I'll get into that in a second. But yeah, so they use that, but they also use helicopters and cranes to carry some of these these vehicles in. So like that car, I think is being carried by a helicopter. The oil tanker we see, that's using a crane. Wow. Um, they rebuilt it. Of course, it's lightweight aluminum and lightweight rubber. There's a 1,000 gal- gallons of, uh, of gas in it. But, I mean, they haul this huge thing up and drop it. And I'll get into that, too, because that's a whole other catastrophe. But, yeah. So, yeah, like we were talking about, the wind on set was using two Boeing 707 engines. Each were strapped to a flatbed 18-wheeler. So they have two of them. But above the engines are these big containers that have debris. So they put like hay or leaves or um, branches, all kinds of stuff. So what they would do is while these trucks are driving, let's say in front of the the Dodge Ram, they're both simultaneously driving side by side in front of the Dodge Ram. And as the jet engine is blowing out the wind, they're also passing all this debris through. So I watched a video of it and it's intense because they're going over these bridges and it's like they're taking up the whole bridge with just 
these, because you got to imagine, because they still got to film it too. So you have yeah. these two 18 wheelers on flatbeds with these huge jet engines, huge. So when they went to this junkyard to pick out these engines, they picked out the largest ones that they could find that were functional. Wow. So they put them on these flatbed trucks. They, they created this other device that um, mounted above the engine where they housed all the debris. Then you have the truck behind that that have the cameras mounted to it. Then you have the Dodge Ram. Wow. So it's this big fucking like ordeal when they have to do these shots. So it's just impressive to see how they filmed it. Yeah. Um, there's some cool like helicopter aerial footage of them filming this. And it's just like your watch is like you got to close the whole fucking road down. Yeah. And then some to even have this go on. It's crazy. But in these towns of 100 people, I doubt you're inconveniencing too True. many. So it's probably a good idea they didn't do it in California. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're doing that down to 10. Anarchy, yeah. yeah. Close down the 405 for long. I know, oh. right? So another cool part with some of the debris that uh, was the hail because if you think about hail like you can kind of see it but they're using big chunks imagine ice it's really see-through it's translucent so what they did was they went to a place in Iowa where they got a couple 300 pound blocks of ice but they what they did is they poured milk into it so that when they they, so when they crushed it and made the hail and they put it through the the engines. You could see it because ice is translucent. So uh, they put milk so that you could it would show up on camera. So they had to buy a couple of these huge blocks to do this kind of stuff. So, so it's like milk rain. It's kind of like milk rain, yeah. So when you go back and see, it, you can kind of tell that it's it's milk rain or hail. Bubble guts and milk rain. Here we are, guys. <laughs> Twister, we're coming for you. Um, the house that Bill and Joe drive through. Do you remember that part yeah. where the house kind of? Um, like flips over it flips over but if you really watch it closely of course they don't drive through a real house it's not a real house that's CGI that comes on there but they had to build a set that they drove through so they built like this like like a house that's like three quarters built that had this ramp through it so they could film that scene of them driving through it but if you ever watch the scene in its entirety, when he drives through, the house is one way where the roof's on the right side of the road and then when they're out it's on the left side of the road so it's supposed to be like No, but it's supposed to be like while they're driving through the wind, the tornado's still blowing the oh, house around. Got it. So it's I never noticed that until I rewatched it, but it's pretty cool that they did that. So that that scene with the house actually took six weeks to build. Oh my gosh. So But I feel like shot, I feel like huh? for Isn't what it for what it was in the movie, it was like so unbelievably unnecessary. Yeah, like if I'm a producer or a, I'm like, we just don't need to do it this way. Right, like, let's just, just do something not else. Like worth the squeeze at that for point. For six weeks of that and all that, I, mean, I this is like because to me, I don't even like it in the movie, and so right. just wasted all that money and time to do it. But right, whatever. and that's like it's. I feel like it's so like it got to the point where it's just like we get it, shits flying. Like they did that tractor scene where what they're does like, he left. say before he goes in the right. House? We're going Left. in. Yeah, I mean, we're going so, in. That's what he says. Fucking bad. <laughs> it's weird too because I was watching that Twister revisited documentary, and they said that the scene at the end um, with the fence, the wooden fence, where all the yeah. posts are going up. They said that that took two or three months to figure out how to get that fence to almost the whole entire of the production. Like, there's a team working on this well, to make sure that the fence posts would blow up out of the fence while they were running past it. Wow. But that's the thing that, like, you question. It's just like, I mean, we're, we'll get into it later, but it's just like, if fence posts are literally being pulled out of the ground, one, you're either going to be impaled by them, or two, you're going to be sucked into the force of it because if it's pulling them out of the ground, like... If you're a 110 pound person, like I imagine Helen Hunt to be, like your ass is gone. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, there's lots of issues like I ha- like that I have with the movie too. Like my biggest one is at the end when they're inside that tornado. Yes, and it's it like physically impossible. And it's all survive an F five. Oh my god! And like all the debris that's in that thing. How like does nothing. Hit that's you? that was my mom. I was like, she would be hit by something. Yeah. I was like, if not the leather strap giving out because it's the suction power of an F five tornado. Like they're literally, as Dusty would say, in the suck zone. In the suck zone. I mean, it's cool how they filmed it. They said there was a big ring around them with a camera down there that could rotate. And then the whole contraption they were in rotated. So instead of them being like blown up or sucked up like that, it was actually just turning so they're upside down. But like, it's it's an interesting shot. And yeah. I like how they did it. But it's like physically, like Impossible. logically, there's no way you're going to survive that. There's just no way. Right. So again, more problems while filming. Five weeks into filming, Mug and I were talking about this. Part of the crew just got up and left saying that uh, Jan was out of control. Oh my uh, gosh, this is like the room. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Is this is this where he pushed one of the guys into the mud or something? Uh, yeah, getting... yeah, yeah. So camera crew leader Don Burgess, right. uh, cinematographer on Forrest Gump and Castaway, he said that uh, DeBont didn't know what he wanted until he saw it. He would shoot one direction, and then he'd want to shoot in another direction right away. And we'd have to move everything. He'd get angry if we took too long. And it always was everyone else's fault, never his. DeBont claimed that the weather changed very often. And when trying to shoot three scenes a day, Don Burgess just, quote, had trouble adjusting to that. At one point, DeBont uh, threw a fit and knocked over a camera assistant and missed a, that missed a cue. And at that point, Burgess and his crew, so they just left at that no, point. Like, so, Fuck you, I'm out, so huh? yeah, once he knocked them over, he's just like, you know what? We're fucking done with this. Like, I, I, so they left the set for the day. They continued to work on the film, though, for a week. So they worked on the film for one more week until Clint Eastwood collaborator uh, Jack Green's crew replaced, uh, replaced him. So two days before the end of filming, Green was injured on the set. So um, Burgess left, his crew left, just this guy Jack Green came on. Now he gets hurt. The scene where Aunt Meg's house is um, falling down after the tornado hit Wakita. Well, the house is on all of these hydraulic kind of lifts. And it's like supposed to be triggered to start to like kind of implode as it does. Which is what you see, right? Yeah, yeah, and you see like the second floor start to shift and all that kind of stuff. Well, one of them, the hydraulic mechanism used in the scene was initiated early and it collapsed on him. He was hospitalized and the ceiling hit him in the head and he injured his back. So DuPont had to step in and he would be the director of photography for the rest of the film. So there's lots of issues and that's just the beginning of some of them. Um, That's what uh, happens when you're in the suck zone. It sucks. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, the the title of the movie. So there's always going to be Twister, but I think the original poster was going to be Twister. It sucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> they were kind of like, yeah, we can't I think do that's, this. I think that's actually pretty accurate. They I would have been with that. They going to do that, yeah. <laughs> now it's the dark side of nature, yeah. which is, sounds better. But yeah, if they would have went with it sucks, I'm just like, I don't know about all that. Uh, well, you're going to disagree with that assessment? Uh, we'll we'll just, say that for Jack. Yeah. <laughs> so there were some injuries on set. So Helen Hunt especially went through some injuries. She hit her head on a wooden bridge when standing up too quickly uh, in the cornfield scene. You know, not the cornfield, I'm sorry, um, in the scene when they're in that little ravine next yeah. to the highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she, when they're under there, she steps up too fast. She hits her head um, and hurts herself. I uh, also read that she may have hit her head on like a car door. Did that happen too? Yeah. So the scene when they're driving, it's at the end through the cornfield. 
It's the last time they're attempting to get right. the Dorothy into the. So yeah. if you look, they're they're going forwards and they open both of their doors. And as they stand up, they're facing, I want to say to the side or something, but they're not facing where the door's at. And the door gets hit by the corn and it just hits her in the head and knocks her. Yeah, so she just, she gets hurt here and there. Some of them said that she had a concussion because of it, so... Hopefully it's not true, but um, again, back to that scene when that, that little ravine underneath the bridge, both Bill and Helen had to get hepatitis shots right? because yeah, they were standing in some unsanitary, like still water in that ditch. So you think you'd like find another spot to film like California. I mean, yeah. well, you got to imagine too, like they're already having issues with, you know, the director and then all this stuff. I mean, they're, but you're standing good. in like hep water. Like, what are you doing? They're, they're troopers, man. I don't it know. It just seemed yeah. like this movie was just like at what, any point could have been like, we're done. We, right. we, we lost weather winds. We're good. I'm just saying like, you're putting Helen Hunt and you're putting Bill Paxton, like who I imagine at the time are like, well, Helen Hunt was still doing mad about you during this time frame, And I guess, am I right, wrong on this? she had to like because I think she was now directing parts and because of this movie and it took long all that they had to delay the whole Mad About You production all that stuff did you guys read about that? Yeah they had uh-uh. to delay it like two or two and a half weeks yeah yeah. so they were supposed to start but because the filming on this ran so late they had to they had to postpone but that scene in general is just again like when you think back to like the six weeks for the house to be constructed and to drive through it like what that scene does for them being under that bridge in that ravine and like that hep water like what does that yield for the movie Movie. I think that's necessary. That was a good scene for the movie. It's a good scene, but it's like not only did she hit her head, but now she has to get a hepatitis shot. It's like I yeah. don't think it was necessary. Exactly. Like it's the first like, time you're kind like of like. It's a good scene. I thought it was the first time you're really like I don't know. They're like with the tornado in a sense. Yeah. It shows it shows their bond for sure for like character yeah. development. Like they're they're actually in a tornado together and they're yeah. But that could have been done in a different setting as well. Right. Not in hep water. Like. Well, not in hep water. I'm just saying. Whatever. <laughs> I still think it was. A, I mean, yeah, right. you loved it. I, I like the scene. I like the scene. Yeah, I, I really do. I liked it's, her truck better. I liked. Yeah, yeah I like the scene. I like the scene a lot. Um, I like them fighting in the truck. I mm-hmm. liked it all, man. But I think the worst injury of all was uh, halfway through filming, both Bill and Helen were temporarily blinded by bright lamps. Jan insisted on using to make the sky look brighter behind them. Paxton said after this happened. Uh, these things literally sunburned our eyeballs. I got back to my room and I couldn't see. They both had to use special eye drops and wear special sunglasses over the next couple of days to recoup. Uh, DuPont ended up using a plexiglass filter in front of the beams uh, to lessen the intensity. Yeah. Dude, some of these lamps are so insane. Like, I've worked on a commercial where the crew put up one of these lamps, right? It's like 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night, dark as hell, right? And you put on one of these these uh, these lamps, and it is it's like it's two in the afternoon the moment you put them on. Right. Like that's how bright some of these are. You can make any night scene look like daytime. So wow. I can I can only imagine like what happened to their eyes, like for them to look right into it, or if uh, they turned it on without you noticing, because like they'll give a warning, like hey, you know, like lamps are hot, they're gonna be turned on look away or you know they'll they'll prepare you for when that comes on so it just seems like there's a lot of recklessness kind of to your point what you were talking about earlier with the the director taking over the dp role it just seems like there's a lot of carelessness and recklessness going on on set yeah i mean hitting people i mean a lot of people have talked about how he's very abrasive it's weird because again going back and watching some of these you know interviews with them while they're promoting the film like bill paxton and helen hunt like seem like yeah he was hard but i liked it like the, he just pushed us and I, I liked his attitude like he didn't take any shit he's just like doing it and it's like 
okay, is that for the camera? Like, yes. are they telling you to say this <laughs> shit? Or are you like, fuck, like, I'm never working with this fuckhead again. Like, I don't want to do this because he's pushing us around. And I don't like it. Like, I don't know what the true thing is, but it sounds like they put him through hell on yeah. some of these scenes. If she's getting smack in her head twice, getting a hepatitis she's, shot. She's not only getting concussions, she's losing her sight. Right? <laughs> Come on, this is she sunburned her eyeballs. Yeah. She's, they're saying that for the camera. So, Muggs kind of touched on this earlier. It said the cost of Twister was close to $70 million. Well, that was the original cost, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 2 to $3 million went to Jan. There's speculation that the cost was more like $90 million after all the reshoots and overtime and pro- um, post-production. Example, the explosion of the oil tanker was originally mistimed and not caught on film. Wow. So, they had to go back and reshoot. Way to go, Jan. Yeah. Jan fucking up, Dumbass. <laughs> so Jan decided not to tell the studio immediately, and the stunt was reset and filmed again. Guess how much it cost? How much? Guess. Probably three million. I'd say f- three or five, yeah. No, God, no. It was $500,000. Oh, shit. Half a million. Yeah, wow. it's still pretty big chunk of change. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Um, I mean, because we were talking about earlier other movies and like Top Gun, it was 25 grand yeah. to change. I mean, this is half a million dollars yeah. just to shoot that scene, which was, you know, didn't really need to be in it. And then another interesting fact was they ended up, so before it was released, they decided to move uh, the release date up a week to give it two weekends before the release of Mission Impossible. Which it beat. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was probably a good strategy. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the cast. So... In my opinion, this cast is chock full of some pretty big stars, at least now. Yeah. Um, but let's go ahead and start with, you know, Bill Paxton. Um, his name is Bill Harding in the movie. Um, do you guys know of some of the other people right. that were up for his posi- his uh, role? Just going to throw it out there right now. I don't know anyone that was Kevin up, Costner. Yeah. Please tell me it was Kevin Costner. No, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Kevin Costner was one. Sorry. Really? Yes. Did you know that or you guessed? I guessed. Like, I have no wow. idea. No, because he's like other... He, I always like this in is my a Kevin head. Costner film. No, but I always in my head confuse Bill Paxton and Kevin Costner, and that's what? my own my own ignorance. Really? I'm sorry, not all white people, but <laughs> edit that out, please, Jesus Christ. But no, I always confuse Kevin Costner and Bill Paxton, like How the do movies that they're them? in. They look similar to me. I confuse not Bill at Paxton all. Do they look similar? Do you? The president from Independence Day. What's his name? Bill Pullman. Yeah, Bill yeah. Paxton. And Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. I get confused, but not Kevin Costner. Okie doke. Um, <laughs> so okay, so Kevin Costner, it's got to be Bruce Willis too, right? Uh, he's not listed here. Okay, yeah, who is it? Um, I'll get to the big one last, but Richard Gere. I can see that. John Travolta. Ooh. Yeah. Mel Gibson. Yeah. And Dennis Quaid. That was the big one. No, that's not the big one. Oh, also, big Kurt one. Russell and Michael Keaton too. Who's the big one? So Tom Hanks was original <gasps> choice for the role. What? Yeah, Hanks read uh, lines with the cast and even chose the character's wardrobe, which stayed in the final film before dropping out. So, yeah. but they I think he knew it was a lost cause and was like, bye. This movie did well, though. Bill Paxton was chosen uh, due to his southern everyman charm. Do you guys feel that he has a southern everyman charm? No. I do. I don't. Why not? In the same way I, that I don't feel Carrie that way. Ellis has Southern Everyman charm. Yeah, I, I, don't I mean, see I'm, it. I'm not mad about the character selection. Yeah. I don't think he did a bad job. I just think that's a weird description. That's a it's weird a super odd description because he wasn't Southern. Like, well, no. yeah, he doesn't have He's the accent. But I, I thought I, you guys didn't really like that choice of being the lead of this whole movie. No, I think no, he's, no. I think Great. he's fine. But I mean, to give that like why he was chosen, it's just weird. 
He's a he's a trash for a different reason for me. But. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit? Right? Who gives a shit, yeah. <laughs> All right, anyway, um, they chose uh, Bill Paxton on a recommendation from director James Cameron. Do you know Ooh. what movies Bill Paxton was in with James Cameron? I do not. Me you don't know one, much. Titanic? Titanic. And what else? Terminator 2. Oh. Nope, first Terminator. Ter- Terminator oh, 1. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. So he's like this little Oh, my God. Yeah. You're an encyclopedia of James Cameron, Bill Paxton knowledge. And True Lies. <gasps> That's right. Jeez. Look at you. Oh, there you go. Who is she? That's after this, but it is. That's why I didn't bring that up. <laughs> wow. So, a couple of fun facts about. Well, not fun. One is fun. Uh, <laughs> one's kind of sad. <laughs> In a public oh, Q and A at a screening of the film, Bill Paxton said he didn't even meet Steven Spielberg until a year and a half after finishing the movie. He said Spielberg greeted him with, "Thanks for making me a lot of money, man." Dude, if I was Spiel- Steven move. Spielberg at that point, I'd say the same thing. Like, thanks for the cash, boy. That's a baller move. Yeah, is, that's, yeah. that's a Tom Haverford move. <laughs> <laughs> Rent a swag. Rent a swag. Um, as we all know, Bill Paxton passed away. R.I.P. Um, Spotter Network choreographed 200 storm chasers to spell out BP for Bill Paxton with their GPS tracker blips on a radar display to honor him. This kind of tribute uh, had only been done five times before, and it was never done for anyone that wasn't a storm chaser. Wow. So I think well, that was pretty like, cool. He like was a storm chaser. He was. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it makes sense, but he was a human barometer. <laughs> Fictitiously, but yes, he was. I mean, is it fictitiously? <laughs> Seems real to me. I thought this was a documentary. Um, so so let's, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on to Helen Hunt. Joe Harden. What are you guys thinking for? I love her too, man. She's great. I think she's fantastic. I mean, she cute in this? Do you think she's cute in this? Yes. I think she's cute. The white tank top? She does it for me every time. Every time. <laughs> Six to midnight. <laughs> Whoa. But, but tell me their chemistry is not great. No, it is. Dude, they, and then the way they like flirt off each other, just indirectly mad. No, it, but it's, it's just so like great, everybody dude. knows a couple like that. They yeah. like, can't be together, but like can't be without each other. Yeah. And like they have that history. Right. But there's something that I even wrote my trash or treasure. It's just like if I, if I literally was like doing my job and I look over and there's my ex. I would not be that cool, calm, and collected as she is. She's like, oh, hey, Bill, what's going on? Especially your And then ex when he, with his she finds fiance. out, like, oh, like she's here? here. She's here. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm going to meet her. <laughs> she's great, dude. Yeah. yeah. She's goals. Who, who's the star of the movie? Is it Helen Hunt or Bill Paxton? Helen, Helen, Helen Hunt. It's got to be Helen Hunt, right? Helen yeah. Hunt. I think it's a twister. She, Maybe Dorothy. <laughs> here's the thing is like, I, I was even saying this to my mom when we were watching this. It's just like Bill Paxton. There's a scene where like you can tell like the bubble guts are starting in the background. Like, and so it just cuts to Bill Paxton. It slowly like zooms in on him and he just has this like look on his face. Like you're supposed to think like he's sensing the storm, yeah. but he's essentially useless. He's just staring at the sky. But like any emotional tie that you feel, whether it's with Aunt Meg, whether it's with the crew, whether it's with like Bill himself, it all comes. Kerwin's doing this. Kerwin is doing right the Bill now. Paxton right now and it's hard to like not be captivated by it but any emotional tie that you feel to this movie is as a result of Helen Hunt it's not a result of him like the only time you would feel that is when Melissa like left him but even then I was like Melissa get out she gone yeah I don't want to get too much into like trash or treasure or whatever but you know when I'm watching them on screen like the kind of chemistry that they have I'm just kind of like you guys split up? Like, really? Yeah. Right. Y'all split yeah. up because, like, the way you guys operate. They, they finish just... each other's sentences. Yeah. Like, the way they fight is so just, like, 
Your turn. Your turn. Your. I, I don't know. I. I it, when he's driving and she looks yes, at the odometer uh, and she like huffs and, and then he's and, just and like she, and like they bait each other. Right? I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't want to talk about it. And they they end up talking about it. You know, it's yeah. Great. They they're such a good team both professionally yeah. and personally. So it, it's just kind of weird. We're, we're, we'll get into that in Trash and Treasure, okay. though. And then one person that was up for her role was uh, Laura Dern. Ooh. Mm. Nah, not Thought, feeling thoughts. it. I think Helen, yeah. Helen Hunt owns that role. Yeah. See, but I feel like Laura Dern right now is really hitting her stride. Like, 2019, 2020, like, this is Laura Dern's time this to, like, hit it. But, like, time. this is when Helen Hunt... Talking Castaway. I'm talking what men, what women want. This is Helen Hunt's time to shine, you guys. I love Helen Hunt in this role. I just thought that was an interesting. Like I was like, oh, you I just can like see the white that tank top, you little perv. <laughs> Duh, come on, Elizabeth might listen to this. Be careful. Um, <laughs> and then one of my other favorite actors in this is Philip Seymour Hoffman. I love yes. him in this as Dusty. I think it's awesome. This is the weirdest one though. There's someone that was offered this role that turned it down. The Philip Seymour Dusty? Hoffman. Dusty. The Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Um, it was Garth, Jack Black. Please Garth tell me. Brooks. Yeah, he turned oh. it down. What? Yeah, he was supposedly offered the, the Thunder role Thunder rolls and <gasps> turned it down. Imagine Garth Brooks talking about the suck zone. I just got so excited. I can just imagine him like writing with a his song little like country twang. Zone. Like he would, no, he would have, like he would have made the original score. He would have made a song. It would have won an Oscar. Like it would. I'm calling it now. I can't picture this dude saying the suck zone. This is the guy that did the song with Nelly. No, that was Tim McGraw. Same shit. They're right. all the Jamie Gertz is here. Completely the different. The suck zone. They're all the same. <laughs> do you do you know why uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman took this role? No, I don't. Do you? Yeah, he was living in L.A. and needed money to move back to New York, and so he took this so he could move back to New York. Oh shit! And I'm sorry. He was a highlight. I don't he care was, what anybody says. He's great, dude. I, I, like Philip him. I love him. I think he fits the role perfectly. Uh, yeah, he fits the role. I think Food. I can't imagine. Food. <laughs> he does that, right? I can't Food. imagine anyone else. Food, yes. And then Carrie Elways. Yes. Um, he was originally going to be played by Christopher McDonald. Who's that? Who? Mugs. Isn't that the guy from Robin? Batman and Robin? No. No, you, that's, no, no, no. Let, no. Let, that's let, Chris let, O'Donnell. Let Mugs figure it out. Let Mugs figure it out. That's Chris O'Donnell. Who? Christopher McDonald. McDonald, not O'Donnell. Shooter McGavin. <gasps> oh! Happy Gilmore. No! Greatest goal forever. Greatest yeah. goal forever. I can see that. <laughs> I just thought that I was just, hilarious. I love Carrie Elway's just because the Princess Bride. Like, I'm sorry. Like, forever will stand him as I'm an actor. I'm so thrown off by his southern accent in this movie, though. I love him, I like, 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 if I, I knew, because he looks like Princess Bride, but he didn't sound like it, and it threw me off. And I was just preparing for like a British accent, but I get this like really good Southern accent from him. Well, hello there, Joe. What are you thinking for the storm? Like he was into it. He, he, it's kind of really weird. It. It's like watching like a uh, Daniel Craig do. Uh, do oh, the southern his accent. Southern accent oh, yeah. in oh, knives ugh. out. Yes, it was yeah. terrible. I liked it. His Kentucky Fried Twang. <laughs> no, but Christopher McDonald would be a good one too because he's got that like he's got a face oh, yeah. you he's can got hate. That character trope of like being an asshole. An asshole. Yeah, yeah. So, he, I would have believed it. Think that it was a little weird that like I don't know his name, none of it. And then he says, "We know him as Shooter McGavin." I didn't know on Shooter McGavin in this movie. Like, come on. Dude. I mean, some people Shoot are known <laughs> for their roles, <laughs> right? <laughs> I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. Like, you eat pieces the fuck? of shit for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and I'll just go through some, I'll just highlight some of the other cast. Um, you didn't even, okay, so sorry, going into cast, you didn't know Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Which is why okay, we're taking so, a shot at Fireball. So I, I was mistaken. I thought he was talking about uh, Carrie Elways, and I was like, okay. oh. And then I, because I, I totally blanked out that Cameron was in this. Like, mm-hmm. I forgot about the math guy, and I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, of course I know who that but, is. But I was thinking of him, and I'm like, I can't. I know he's from something, but yeah, none of you guys watch Succession. But whenever he's like, whenever I'm talking about Succession, because he's on that show as well, I don't even know the actor's name. I call Colin him Cameron. Rock. Yeah, I call him Cameron. No matter what, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I'm like, oh, that's Cameron in Succession when he's in Succession. Like, like I could, not, if you held a gun to my head, I would not be able to tell you his real name. Well, but he's pretty, Cameron. It was pretty funny when I was writing Christopher McDonald. I wrote. Christopher, McGa- Christopher McGaffin. <laughs> I was like, and I go back and look him up and I couldn't find him. And I'm like, cause it's not a real person. Cause it's Christopher oh McDonald and Christopher McGaffin. So I'm right there with you. Um, oh, so Jamie Gertz, who plays Melissa Reeves, she was in the lost boys, Carrie Elway's, uh, Dr. Jonas Miller. He was on saw days of thunder. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman. We know a lot of his, uh, accolades that he's been on, uh, Alan Ruck. So this is rabbit, Cameron Fry, Ferris Bueller's day off. And then Jeremy Davies, he was on Justified. He was in Lost. He was in Lost, too. So I think there's two actors here from Lost, but I didn't know the other one because I've never seen Lost. But yeah, I got Lost on that one, too. Ooh, that's what you did there. (laughs) That was quick. And then one that I thought was funny was Joey Slotnick. Um, Who is that? He was the guy. He has the curly hair. He's on the villain team, right? No, he's on the protagonist team. He's on Joe's team. Right. Yeah. He has curly hair? He has curly hair. He's only in a couple scenes. Anyway, do you guys remember the episode of The Office when they go to the daycare? I don't care. Okay, who, who are you talking about exactly? I can't describe him. He's a white yeah. dude. He has curly hair. <laughs> the good team or the bad team? Good team. Okay. Then this is not the guy I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, he's from The Office. He's the daycare manager. I thought it was can, I, can I bring up one other cast that you're probably not going to bring up then? Jake Busey? Who's Jake Busey? He's one of the technicians on the, on uh, the bad side. Okay. He's in Starship Troopers, The Frighteners. But there's a guy also on the villain side. But isn't he on a show called Salute Your Shorts, Nickelodeon? What? Am I wrong on I that? Did you guys ever watch show. that show? I remember that I show. I swear it's that guy. Oh, you mean Cam Bonawana, that one? Yes. Cam Bonawana. Yes. We hold you in isn't our hearts. Isn't that him, one of, his, one of his guys? I mean, isn't that one of the guys? Am I wrong on that? I'd have to go back and look through every single I, character. I swear it is. If I'm wrong, on a later episode, I'll take a shot of Fireball. So we'll look that up. But I swear he's yeah, on Salute Your Shorts. Yeah, let's not threaten you with a good time. <laughs> I'll go back and look for that just for you, Mike. Camp Bonawana. All right, so let's get to the soundtrack. What do you guys think about it? Love it. Yeah, the score and the soundtrack. I'm sorry. Love it. I think it's terrible, but we'll get into that with Trash or Treasure. Pump the brakes. Van Halen, they wrote, they composed a song for this movie. Which is one of my treasures. That song I have, I I love. Only Humans, is that what it's called? Uh, Respect the Wind. Who's Van Halen? All right, Billy, (laughs) Irish, relax. Um, (laughs) Eilish. So the score was composed by uh, Mark Mancino, who has done over 60 films, including Speed, Training Day, Moana, and of course, the great Bad Boys. Uh, Trash. The theme song for the movie was composed and performed by Van Halen. You can hear it during the end credits. Um, But I mean, there's some, I mean, Deep Purple, Van Halen, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Goo Goo Dolls, Shania Twain. There's Human Beings. That's the name of the song. Okay, maybe, okay, maybe this is where we're getting into that discussion that you guys had, like score versus soundtrack. And I think that's where I get tripped up because there are certain moments during this movie where all of a sudden music starts playing where it genuinely should not be playing. 
And that's maybe where I'm I getting disagree. tripped up. I think they place the music. Oh, I'll give you two specific examples in Trash or Treasure, but like I'm not gonna do it now. But what I'm saying is Chicken I think this shit. is I think maybe we're thinking of the score versus soundtrack argument. And like when Dusty's playing music through his van, like I'm probably sure that's what you're alluding to. When I talk about soundtrack, then yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I'm sure that's what you're alluding to with that, with the soundtrack being great, but I think it goes back to the soundtrack score What's actually like composed instrumentally. Right. And you don't like what's composed instrumentally. instrumentally. I think it's ill-timed, but I'll give you specific examples of why I believe that. but yes, timing. Like when Dusty's jamming out and he's like driving when they're going towards a tornado, it's like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I know exactly what you're talking about and that's fine. William Tell overture. So what are you talking about? I'll get into it later. Don't you fret my pet. We'll get into it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Don't you fret my pet. We'll get into it. I wasn't expecting this much uh, controversy on Twister. Okay, so there's an urban legend about this movie. Uh, According to urban legend, a tornado hit a drive-in theater in Stony Creek, Ontario, while the movie was playing. Okay. In reality, a tornado hit a drive-in theater in, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Thorold, Ontario, on May 20th, 1996, damaging a screen. The movie was not playing when the tornado hit, but it was scheduled to play that evening. It's kind of creepy because it was actually in the movie. Yeah, Yeah, that's weird. So I don't have much else except for some fun facts because I love fun facts. We love a good fun fact. Okay, so no opening credits after the title has been shown in the movie. Yep. So that was pretty interesting because you don't see that much. And we talked a lot about that with Star Wars. Star Wars does it. I I I don't mind. Do you mind it, Kerwin? I mean, Uh, I mean, it depends on the movie. Like depending on um, how you want to start off a movie. Opening credits can be distracting, but like even modern movies today, they'll still include the opening credits, but it's done in a way that it doesn't interfere with what's being showcased on the screen. I think in the case of like a uh, Star Wars or a Christopher Nolan film where credits are always at the end, you know, it's it's best to have that later. But if it's like I don't know, like Fast and the Furious or you know something something where it doesn't get in the way, I think it's perfectly fine. I completely agree. Some movies need it. Oblivion doesn't do it at the beginning, which is very great about it. So they'd wait till the very end to do it. Like, That's when you knew it was shitty. It just started <laughs> shitty right from the beginning. But, but you know, just to wrap that point up, I, I have noticed that more films nowadays don't include credits at the beginning. Like, if you go back, almost every film from the 90s, 80s, 70s includes opening credits. Mm-hmm. But, like, nowadays when we go to the movies, like, you don't see credits till the very end. Like, remember The Departed? Yeah, you're like in the movie, and all of a sudden they even show the title, and you're like, "Whoa, I didn't, I forgot where I was," because like they don't show anything whatsoever. I mean, with this movie too, I didn't notice. I didn't even yeah. pick up that they didn't show credits until yeah. I read this. So oh, that was interesting. So this is my favorite fun fact: in an early, <laughs> an early scene when Philip Seymour Hoffman is sitting in a lawn chair. So this is just a theatrical version. He lifts his leg in the air while laughing. His genitals were fully visible for what? a split second. <laughs> I read this. It was edited out of the DVD and VHS releases, but it was leaked from VHS screeners sent to industry professionals. So, Jason, you can see f- why is that your favorite? Fact? I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Because yeah. I think about the scene and like, it's like right when you meet Dusty and he's just like off the wall, like fucking nuts. Out. Yeah, it's just like he's he, that friend where his he's balls got these just like out. goggles up on his head. He's just all fucking like whatever, and then he sits he sits down in the chair, and you can just see him like kind of sit back all violently, legs go up, and fucking dick and balls are hanging out. I just think it's hilarious. I don't know why, but I think it's hilarious. I love that. That's your favorite that's fun fact. I, just, I don't know why, but I thought it was funny. Uh, so in the movie, to me, 
the tornadoes are the antagonist. Yeah. And I feel like the Dorothy is the protagonist personally. But if we look at people, Jonas is obviously the the antagonist. They call him out a lot for uh, selling out to corporate sponsors, which is very ironic because Pepsi is pretty prominent in the movie. Yeah. So when they a lot cut of product placement. When they cut all those mm-hmm. pinwheels are all Pepsi cans. I feel like a, another big one is Dodge. I mean, I feel like this whole fucking movie can almost be a Dodge Ram commercial for God's yeah. sakes. It's insane. One fun fact is as it's uh, at 59 minutes in, as one of the characters looks at the screen of their weather computer, he screams, that's no moon, it's a space station. Oh, yeah. What's that for, Mugs? Seriously, it's a new hope. Spaceballs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Spaceballs, duh. No, it's a new hope, you're right. Yeah. I'm just kidding, I'm messing with you. At an hour and nine minutes in, the characters are alarmed when TV screens go blank. So this is something I was genuinely curious about, showing only static when the tornado hits. In the days before digital TV, it was discovered that tornadoes generate a signal that will override and blank channel two on TV sets. Channel two? Yeah, so if it's set on channel two and a tornado hits, it'll just, like it does in the beginning of the movie, it'll just go blank. So now with TVs, it doesn't react that way, but in the time, so it's actually realistic. Um, one thing that's really cool is that there's so much bass. It was so loud with all the special effects. When This film, when it was in theaters, was notorious for destroying many surround speakers all across the U.S. Really? Yeah, because they weren't, I mean... I was curious about THX because I remember as a kid when you walked in, when I walked in this movie and we watched it, I was like, THX, what the hell is this? And like, that was probably one of the first films I remember seeing the THX. This wasn't the first though. It was the first? It wasn't the first. I mean, when I looked it up, they they credit Star Wars as being one of the first films with THX, but this is the first film I remember seeing in theaters that had THX. Anyway, they said that it blew out a lot of speakers because when you think about it, if you played it on your surround sound or your sound bar, it's loud as fuck and it's really deep. So I could imagine the speakers were not ready to handle that. Um, as we talked about earlier too, um, it was the first DVD ever, 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 and then it was the last HD DVD. So I don't know if you kids remember, but there were DVDs. We have Blu-rays now. So there was a war between HD DVD and Blu-ray, right? Yeah. Yeah, an HD DVD I believe came in like a red box with like gold lettering, and they had a, a good amount of them. I remember that, but they lasted. I want to say for a year. And then they were like a year, maybe, and Blue by a year and a half, they were gone. Yeah, yeah, they were gone. But I remember seeing them, and then like the next week I walked into Best Buy, they were all like clearanced because it was just dead technology. So it was the very last HD DVD. So just to talk about the awards. Um, it was nominated for two Academy Awards. Best Sound Mixing. And Visual, right? Yeah, Best Visual Effects. Yeah. So they didn't win, which is a bummer, but they did win a Blockbuster Entertainment Award for favorite actress, Helen Put Hunt. Put that on the mantle. Yes. So, kids, just so you know, Blockbuster <laughs> was a place where you went to go rent movies before Netflix <laughs> or Amazon. So um, so they won a couple awards, uh, a Raspberry Award. What the fuck is a Raspberry Award? I don't know what a like Raspberry, a raspberry is. is like the worst. The Razzies are like the worst movie of the year. <laughs> yeah. oh, really? It's like, so, um, like, my favorite fact about the Razzies is the same year that Sandra Bullock won an Academy Award for The Blind Side, she got a Razzie for All About Steve. Like, the worst movies of the wow. year. So, like, the Raspberry Awards, the Razzies are the opposite of the Oscars. Just And they're like totally the same time. Fun of people, right? Yeah. So that's why I think this is funny. Like, not only is, you know, at least part of the production nominated for an Academy Award, but they're also nominated for what they call it here a Golden Raspberry Award uh, for Worst Written Film Grossing Over $100 Million and Worst Supporting Actress, Jamie Gertz. So, Who's uh, that? Jamie Gertz. Who does she play? Melissa. 
Oh. Yeah, so she didn't she, she was, was awful. She was only nominated, but it did win. <laughs> Worst written film grossing over a hundred million dollars. Wow. I'm not surprised. So um not a lot of awards here. Um they weren't nominated for some. Um and I think it's des- I think it's pretty des- deservedly. I mean, I don't yeah. know what you guys think, but Best sound mixing, I think, is pretty true, especially for the time and best visual effects. I think you talk about ILM and what they had to do for the film. I think it's I think it's deserved. All right. So let's get into our experience with this movie. Uh, Mugga, why don't you tell us about your experience with Twister? So my dad loves this movie. I absolutely loves it. One being the soundtrack, I remember him buying the CD and he would listen to the ending song. Do you know the one song that I'm talking about? The very, very, I don't know the name of it. but Respect he would, the wind. Yes. He would put this on in the living room after a few beers on a Friday night and listen to it blast the whole, and my mom hated it, you know, because she was like, what the hell? But uh, he loved this because of that. He also bought the movie. And I remember watching this at my house with my dad. And um, I don't know exactly when that was, but... But that was my experience, and ever since then, I've I've kind of liked the movie. It's one of those things where I don't turn it off. I I, I enjoy it. But uh, I remember watching this with my father, and he loves this movie. Um, he had bought a bunch of movies on Blu-ray when he transitioned to that, and then he realized that was a waste of money. So he's given me all them. So now I have it. Jason actually borrowed it to do research for the movie. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean that that was my experience. I, I my dad loves the soundtrack, which when I get into my trash or treasures is my treasure as well. But uh, but yeah, that's that's my experience with it. All right, uh, Holly Murphy, why don't you tell us your experience with Twister? I don't remember the first time I watched this, but yeah, I would agree. It's like one of those background movies that we would always watch. I've known about it. My mom would watch it. It's like a weird fascination with tornadoes. Never having to actually experience one living in California. No real like affiliation with it other than I enjoyed watching it as a kid and I watched it again for this podcast. Jason, what's your experience with Twister? I saw this in theaters. No, you did not. Shut up. Did you really? Yes, I did. <laughs> wow. Can we can we just trust what he says? Jesus I Christ. I don't. You were like ten. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get into the backstory of why I saw this in theaters, but I did see it. I, okay. I. <laughs> My sister could attest to this. What theater? Cinemark in Reno <laughs> Valley eat? off Alessandro. What did you eat? Oh, that sounds legit. <laughs> what did you eat? Do you have nachos? I had no nachos. Well, we, we always, my dad always got popcorn. He got the biggest thing of popcorn, but he liked a lot of salt. So at this theater, this is why he liked to go to this theater is because they didn't have like a, a salt packet. They didn't have a salt shaker. They had one of those big jugs of Morton's salt. So he would literally open the top and just dump salt all over the popcorn. And my sister and I could not handle it. So we had our own little bags that we would put our popcorn wow. in before we did that. See, but like I'm the same way with movie theaters now. I judge them if they freeze their junior mints. Like if they keep them in like a freezer, those are the movie theaters I go to. I guess, yeah, some of the higher end ones they do that kind of stuff with. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So, you know, my dad just, he's like, he was close to his house. So we went there and uh, I remember walking because I wanted to see this movie. I don't know if my sister really did. I think I was 10 and my sister was eight at the time. And uh, we walked in, and I, this is the first movie I've ever seen. I was telling Kerwin, uh, the THX. Like, I don't remember ever seeing a movie that had this. And I remember the sound being really powerful. Uh, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't think it's powerful? I think it's pretty powerful. I don't know why that's funny, but I guess everything I'm saying is either a liar no, uh, it's or fucking funny, funny as I fuck. I said what the sound sounds like, and you said it was really powerful. Oh, here we go. Uh, but... <laughs> Okay. Anyway, um, no, no, I just remember going and watching this with my dad. And again, kind of like a mug saying that my dad really loved this movie. I think it was just because 
you watch when they're driving and, you know, playing Deep Purple and the Van Halen and he thoroughly liked it. I did too. He bought this. I don't think he got it on Blu-ray, but he got on DVD and I remember watching at his house every so often. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good experience. It's one of the first memories I think of going to a theater and watching a movie like this outside of like maybe a cartoon movie, but um, I, that was my experience. Uh, Holly Hart, what is your experience with Twister? So similar to Maga, my mom actually found out we were reviewing this and she said it was one of her favorite movies. And like we grew up with this movie, I think we taped it off HBO on like a VHS tape, like would watch it. I think we had it on DVD at some point, but it's something that's kind of been a staple of the background of our household. Uh, I remember uh, renting this movie a couple of times when I was a kid. Uh, we got it from Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, depending on uh, <laughs> what your preference was. But uh, we rented it a couple of times. I remember seeing it uh, on TV a few times after that, uh, you know, back when I was a kid. Maybe I was like eight, maybe eight years old about uh, when this movie came out. But, um, you know, I hadn't seen it since then. And then um, I rented it this week, uh, watched it on Tuesday night and uh you know, I'll save I'll save my uh, impression of the movie for uh, Trash or Treasure, but I immediately had to go watch something else after this uh, that night. So I I just got to take it to the theater, and I was like, I cannot let my night end like this, and I went to go see another movie. But uh, that's that's my experience with uh, Twister. Let's go ahead and uh, get into Trash or Treasure. Mugga, why don't you tell us your Trash and Treasure with this movie? This is hard because I just I feel like this is a movie that's very. Is, is it brainless? I it just you kind of along for the ride. For my my trashes, I I don't like when they drive through the house. I just thought it was completely unnecessary, kind of stupid. Um, I I don't like uh, uh, the girlfriend in this. I think she's kind of annoying. Melissa. Oh, Melissa? Yes, yeah. I I don't. And the whole scene where they're literally chasing a tornado and she accepts a call because it's kind of a big deal in '96 if you had a cell phone. She's a therapist, right? So she owns. And she starts talking about her penis. I felt like that was just totally just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. We, we don't need this right now. You know, she's, like, she's talking about her penis. Not her penis, but her client's penis, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> it's like they're just trying to put that in. I, I, I thought the. <laughs> they're just trying to put it in. I didn't mean yeah. to do that. No pun intended. Extra no. pun. Okay, but they do specify that she's a sex therapist. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and, and then, like, I thought the tornado at times seemed a little just just Phallic? way too CGI. Phallic? Like, you know, so, but I mean, other than that, I really don't have a lot of other trashes. I, I mean, like, it's just kind of brainless work in my sense. Um, treasures. I really dug the acting of Helen Hunt and Bill Paxson together, especially. I thought they did a great job. Um, this is me being who I am um, when Aunt Meg's house like goes under. I love that the dog survived and you can see it. I don't, I don't know why. It just Shout brings warm, yeah, warm feeling to me. Uh, the ending song, like I said, for my dad, but this is my all time favorite of this movie. I love when they have the whole montage of the Van Halen song when they're chasing a tornado. That that Van Halen song. I don't know. I, I love that part of the whole movie. It's just when that part comes on, I will like turn the volume up as loud as I can because it just gets me into the mood. Like, hey, do what they're doing. Go chase a storm. And I don't. I don't know. That's, that's I, I love that part. But yeah, that's my trash and treasure. Uh, Holly Murphy, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? Um, I'm similar along Mugga's lines. Um, I don't really have a lot of trashes just because I know it's the 90s. I didn't really put it up to a high standard. Um, I thought like the effects were great for the times. Um, like some of it was cheesy, of course, but I don't. I can't really pinpoint something that I think is trash. I feel, a, I feel a $20 ticket coming on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I definitely wouldn't want to like 
give it that much money as far as that goes in that aspect. (laughs) Like, it's not like a $20 movie for me, but it is a background movie. So um, I don't hold high standard for it. I guess that's why I've never been really critical about it. Even rewatching it, it was hard for me to be critical about it because I just kept on finding excuses for they did with what they could. I mean, I guess the only trash I really have is like, where's their eye protection? That's yeah, that's yes. true. Yeah, that's like, true. It's so, it's so yeah. windy. Like, what kind of protection are you wearing? I mean, like, that was the one um, criticism I had rewatching it. Um, Treasures. I like the dynamic between Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. Um, I liked the team that they had. I thought Philip Seymour Hoffman's character was a highlight. So um, I feel a little sympathetic since Philip Seymour Hoffman has passed away. So I'm not as critical with like some of the characters, but um, I thought his character in particular was kind of a highlight for the entire. Crew. True. Yeah, not a lot of like pinpointing as far as like what's a trash and what's a treasure. But yeah, that's it. Okay. All right, Jason, uh, why don't you tell us your trash and treasure with this movie? Okay, so for my trash, um, surprised you guys didn't say this, but in the beginning, when uh, Helen Hunt's character Joe is, you know, a little kid, when they're fleeting their house to go to like the storm cellar, they leave the dog behind at first. Oh, I don't even remember that. That's the trash of mine then. Yeah, I hate that when they do that. Yeah, like they're walking they, out. They Wait, no, no, it right? comes in. It, it comes, comes in, in but they like... They didn't grab him. They didn't actively... Yeah, like oh, the dog's oh, on yeah. the bed and the girl, the, uh, Joe's like calling out for the dog and then like the mom just grabs her and like, run, like runs out the room and like she's looking back and it's just like dog's just chilling there on the bed. They don't even grab the dog or nothing. Dad doesn't grab the dog, nothing. But it ends up being safe. Yeah, on its own accord. Isn't that the guy from Varsity Blues? Uh, yeah, pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. They don't show them a lot except yeah. for that scene and then later on. But um, I think it's also weird in that scene when they get down the storm cellar that um, the mom and uh, the daughter are just calmly looking at the dad holding onto this door for dear life. They're sitting there on this bench in the storm cellar. It looks like they have like food packed away and stuff like that. But they're just sitting there. If you watch them, just kind of like, huh, like just watching the dad just like struggling and like he's barely holding on to this door. He's like, he's oh, my God, it's going to fucking blow off. And like, oh, man, like, that's, hope it that's does. unfortunate. Oh, yeah. I hope it doesn't. Man. And it's just like you know, like her mouth like just open, just like, oh, man, uh, no, I hope it doesn't. Like, I hope it doesn't blow off. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was a weird part. Like they don't try to help or anything. And weird part about that scene, too, is. In the movie, he's actually uh, anchored to the door. Yeah. So when the crew members, when the door's supposed to fly off, he's attached to the door. So they pull the door off, and he goes right with the door because he's actually attached. I thought that was pretty interesting. This one I might get some shit for. Um, I don't like, especially in the beginning part of this movie, I don't like Bill Paxton's voice. What do you mean? The way he's saying his lines it, it sounds like he's reading his lines. It doesn't feel like he's there. That's just in, in the beginning? I, I feel like it gets better towards the end. I feel like when there's situations where it's intense or it's dire, like he, it's better. But I feel like, especially in the beginning when him and Joe were talking or he's trying to get the divorce paper signed or whatever, it just feels like very monotone, I guess, or just really red. I just, it, it bugs the shit out of me when I'm, because I like Bill Paxson. I just did not like, especially the first half and probably throughout the movie, there's a lot of times I just, I, I cringe a little bit. I think, I think I know what you're saying, like the beginning when they're like, oh, welcome back, Bill. And he's like, I'm not back. Yeah. But he's like, like, I'm not back. Like it could have been like, I'm not. I'm it's not. like Joe it's tries to do something. He's like, it. yeah. Yeah. He's like, don't do that. I'm supposed to do that. And what it's about just like, the what papers? The yeah. The papers, Joe. Why didn't you sign that? I'm just like, oh my God. Um, but it gets better, but there's still glimpses even throughout that's like, eh. Um, 
So there's scenes, so like, of course the technology's dated, but there's scenes where they're looking on these, like probably at the time state-of-the-art computers, which aren't really computers. They just built these things to look like computers for the movie. Um, these screens uh, that show like tornadoes, but it's like like a map of the US. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's on I-95. And it's like, how in the flying fuck can you like determine that's on I-95 when you're looking at 10 states? on this screen. Like there's no way. There, there's other scenes where you can, where it shows county outlines and maybe then you can figure that out. But some of the time, especially in the beginning, it's like an outline of the South Southwest where it's like Texas, Oklahoma, like all these states. And it's just like, there's no way you're gonna know. Another trash is um, the part where Melissa hears Bill talking to Joe over the radio, like right after uh, they go yeah. up the, the hill tornado scene and they lose the Dorothy because it blows over and they have this huge moment and then like they're talking and they're like, um, I'm right here in front of you. Like I'm right here. I've been here and it's all over the radio and it's just, it's hard to believe for an, a couple of reasons. The biggest reason is because there's fucking storms all around them and there's hail and rain and wind and tornadoes. And it's like, there's no way that from outside of the truck, 10, 15 feet away, that you're gonna pick this up over radio yeah. and it's gonna be transmitted back to them wherever they're at. Like right. there's just, there's no freaking way that's gonna happen. Helen Hunt pisses me off sometimes. Really? When she's walking towards these tornadoes like a dummy. <gasps> That's in one of my that, trashes, that too. That may be part of, like, the drama her character has. No, but you think after being, like, a doctor and, like, years of studying, like, chasing tornadoes? Because there's one part where she's like, I just want to see it. And I wrote down, like, and how many years have you seen tornadoes? Like... And she just like blindly just like starts walking towards it. And I'm like, right. well, what are we doing yet again? And it happens numerous times. It's right. like the one person that's had her father pass away from a tornado. And it's like, why do you keep just like freeze framing it and then just like slowly walking towards this thing that's going to kill you? I just, I, it, it pisses me off. Um, tornado scene at the movie theater is a little cheesy. I mean, I, I like it a little bit, but I feel like the but car. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, the What's car flying in. I feel like. What about uh, the use of the shining? Is that bad or no? <laughs> like when the tornado comes through, is Jack Nicholson completely destroyed? That's cool. Yeah. So I, I like that, but okay. it's like they go into this like huge like hangar type with like knives building. and shit above. Yeah. Well, no, well, it's just huge and open, and if you're in a tornado situation, you're not supposed to go into anything like this. And they climb down this like four, five, six foot little crevice inside this building. And it's like, yeah, that's not really going to help you. I researched a little bit about that. And it's like, that's like the worst place you could go. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so open. It's going to rip it off. You're down, you're down in this crevice, which is cool, but you're not covered. It's not going to protect you. So I, I didn't like that. Well, I said it was like super, super ironic because they're storm chasers and they should be like, it's like the height of tornado season and they're like at this place and a tornado hits. And well, it's like, shouldn't kids. you be watching your research? Like, shouldn't this like, this is like, they should have some sort of warning. This is halftime game time for you. Like situation. you should be, yeah. you know, in there. Halftime game time, that's what you did. But I think they specify though that uh, they they didn't know when it was gonna hit because the storm kind of got the jump on them because when it hits them at the theater and then when it also goes to Wakita to Aunt Meg's house, Aunt Meg even says like, the yeah, the moment- Little warning, huh? Yeah, like the moment the report came on TV, 
the, the wind tor- chimes went on. She yeah. had no time to even do it. Yeah, like two minutes later, the tornado was already on her. So I think in that particular instance, it has to do with the storm just forming right on top of them. Which is the point of the movie. They're trying to get more knowledge about tornadoes to give people more of a time frame of mm-hmm. like, hey, here's warning. I mean, that's that's the whole point of the movie, right? You is know? that right. realistic for that time, though? I don't know. I'm, I live I'm pretty, in California, yeah, so I'm I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty ignorant about tornadoes, <laughs> don't so know. I like bought into the storyline. I just... But like, I, I feel like something that massive probably had a little bit of development and right. Like yeah. there's been multiple tornadoes at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I don't know if I'd be going to a drive-in theater. It, the storms around you, whether there's a tornado right there or not, like the storms around you and there's been tornadoes. Like, come on, like you got to know something. Like, hey, maybe right. not tonight. Maybe mm-hmm. not tonight. But you think like the human barometer of Bill would know. Because he was staring at the sky. He was. And he knows very pensively. Huh? After he bought his lemonade. No, Melissa bought the lemonade. Oh, that's right. Melissa did buy it. He did drop the dirt, though, real slowly. Yeah, he did. No, but you guys are thinking of a different scene. And then a tornado happens. No, but you guys are thinking of a different scene. Like, that was prior in the movie. And then afterwards, like, Melissa's in the hotel room. Joe's getting coffee and they're at that drive in theater. And he's, but he's like staring at the sky, like sniffing, I imagine. But it's. You'd think the human barometer would be able to tell you that a tornado was coming. The extreme. Yeah. The extreme. <laughs> <laughs> extreme. <laughs> um, and then my last trash is, I feel like a lot of scenes could be used for a Dodge Ram commercial. The so, aerial shots oh of my it God, driving on the roads. There's so many. Like, they go through these storms and then like the, those those sister tornadoes are right around. There's three tornadoes around. Truck spinning gets done. Trucks perfectly fine. It looks like it just went through the car wash. It's like, right? oh, that's it. Oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna want to dodge Spin around now. Cycle. Yeah, <laughs> serious. Um, treasure is the score and the music, of course. Mugs already touched on that. The cast, of course, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Dusty. I mean, Helen Hunt. Put looks good. And then, yeah, the cast. And then uh, another favorite is when Dusty says, it's the suck zone. I don't know why, but when he like creepily gets in Melissa's ear and just kind of, not whispers, but says really lowly, like, hey, uh, it's the suck zone. He like licks it into her ear. <laughs> like like he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't physically lick her. But it's like, if you can lick words into someone's ear. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it was, yeah. Just the concept of that makes me cringe. When they're when they're getting the lemonades, it's it's like a background voice, but someone yells out "corporate kiss butt." <laughs> wait, 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 you're not you're not you're not censoring yourself, are you? No, I'm not. It's a, they literally say "corporate kiss butt." Are you? Kidding? He's just a corporate kiss butt, and they're talking about uh, the antagonist. Wow. Well, yeah, I was gonna say my favorite is when Billy calls Jonas. Like he goes, "What a wiener." <laughs> Well, I think they were trying to make this movie as PG as possible. Right. And at the beginning of the movie, like Helen Hunt, she like mouths fuck, but they like take it out or they they dial it down where you can't hear it at all. And then like the rest of the movie, it's like it's just this PG kind of language. Well, I know I know Bill Paxton says fuck at one point in the movie, too. Like he he says fuck, I think, when they're uh, stopped in front of a tornado at one point when he's trying to like unload Dorothy. I think he says fuck at one point. I would I think challenge. He says I would shit challenge you. He got on that. hit by debris. Oh. I would challenge. It would then be rated R, right? No, no, no. You can get, you can get one, one fuck. Yeah. One fuck in PG thirteen. Okay. Yeah. And a couple shits. Oh, I I take massive shits. It's a shitty situation. Yeah. yeah you get like shit. one or two boobies wait, too. I think PG thirteen. Wait, but Mugga, <laughs> so you don't think this movie's a shit storm? Um, fuck. <laughs> uh, another treasure is the technology, and then the maps guy, Cameron. You know. 
I just fold them. What roll do you mean? Them. What you do you mean by technology? They're computers and stuff. I think that it's. They're roughly the size of a phone book. So please elaborate. <laughs> I just think it's like. I would imagine, you know, my 10 year old self seeing that like, oh, that's cool. Like right. th those computers and stuff. It's just cool to see. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. And like reading more about it, like they're just these like screens with keyboards, like they, they build their props. Right. So I just think about the times like we, we take GPS or like our maps app for granted. And like this guy is like his whole job is just to navigate them. I just I don't know. I, I just found it interesting and I appreciated it. Google put him out of business. <laughs> One, one thing that it's not cringeworthy that I appreciate, but it's just, it was made me laugh is when they're pulling up to the side, the sidewinders or those sister, uh, twisters that when they pull up, like Bill's talking and he's like, it's a sidewinder. And then Melissa starts, she's in the back seat at this point and she starts to speak and he puts his hand up right in her face and she shuts up. Do you guys ever realize that? I did not. Like she starts asking, what does that mean? What is a sidewinder? He's like this. And she just shuts up and then he starts talking to Joe again. Wow. And I was like, holy fuck, that's brutal. You, brutal. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a real quick scene, but he's just like. had no chance. It wasn't yeah. like like a fist up to like say like quiet or it wasn't like, like, like put his like finger over his mouth or whatever. It was just like this, like right in her face because she's in the back seat. I don't remember this. I don't either, but I think at that point Melissa annoyed me. Yeah. So I was probably like, shut up, they're yeah. sidewinders. You're rooting against her regardless. Yeah. Right? yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. a sidewinder. She's like, what's a sidewinder? I think we gotta go this way. And it's like, start talking to Joe. I'm like, holy Jesus. fuck. Yes. Thug life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the glasses come out. <laughs> Last two treasures is the food at Aunt Meg's looks amazing. Oh my God. Steak and eggs. It? Oh, yeah. he, Mashed potatoes. Justin puts that slop of potatoes on Melissa's plate. I'm like, ooh. And the gravy. He's like, mm -hmm. oh man. I, I was like, oh man, I want some of that food. Food. Yeah. food. And then, uh, I don't know if you guys are going to like this or not, but like some of the shots with the tornadoes in the background and the cars going down the highway. That's yeah. I'm surprised that there's not one real tornado in this. Yeah, it's... I thought they would have gotten something. There's like liability reasons for that. I get that, but... The shots are so high and they said they used a yeah. helicopter to shoot it and the cars are going super slow. So that's why they can do these fast shots in on the cars and go all the way up them. Mm. But it's like, I don't know, they're so far away and the way they shot it, it's like a seamless shot too. I don't know. I thought some of those were pretty cool. Um, but that's it. Uh, Holly Hart, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? Okay, so I will start off with my trash, and I love that you mentioned the suck zone during your trash or treasure, because I felt like... That's where I go after work. <laughs> we gotta stop by there every once in a while. <laughs> I felt like this whole movie was in the suck zone, so my trash will be lengthy. Um, I'm not a science person, but I think the math of like a tornado picking up a oil rig or picking up a cow, it would probably pick up a Dodge Ram, especially because Jonas's truck, like it picked it up and had no problems like making it explode. But whenever Bill Paxton or Helen Hunt was in the was in the car, it magically weighed itself down, which I found interesting. So that was a complete trash. The timing was really, really questionable. I didn't know if this took place in one day, in two days, in three days. Like I thought it was Bill Paxton's character, Bill, was only supposed to be there to get the paper signed and bounced, but it felt like it was like a week. He got sucked in. I think it was three days, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. But it was supposed to be like maybe an overnight trip, but magically he had he got sucked in. Thank you. I I just put two and two together. Yeah, he got sucked in. Like I said, the sound effects sound like bubble guts. Where I was going with the score is like, there's a scene, there's two scenes that I can think of where I don't think the score lined up. And one of them is when she's at 
Aunt Meg's house and they're getting dinner and they're getting the whole thing. And it's that whole, they're talking about like who has seen an F5 and Joe is upstairs. And all of a sudden this like country music guitar starts playing like while they're talking about who's seen an F5 tornado and it was so poorly placed it was so poorly timed that I was like what is it doing and then it cut up to her like fixing her necklace in the mirror and then Aunt Joe like comes upstairs and was like talking to her and it was just like the most poorly placed and then the second one was when Joe kept going towards a tornado like after the Dorothy had tipped over and there was like sensors everywhere and it starts to play and I wrote down the Lion King music because it sounds like this crazy instrumental when he's like you killing yourself won't bring your dad back Joe and it's like this crazy like instrumental and it's reminiscent of the Lion King so if you watch it again you'll hear what I'm saying I'll have to go back and check that out because I do not remember that so poorly placed because he's going into this monologue like killing yourself won't bring your dad back Joe and she's like I I need to do this I agree with that but you thought the whole upstairs guitar when she's like no but they're talking downstairs about like who's seen an f5 and they're all looking at each other like they all know who it is because we've seen the beginning of the movie we're in on the secret but melissa has no idea well bill looks up and points and say or like he he nods up and says no but okay but here's the thing if it started if the music started when it went upstairs to joe i wouldn't mind it like i wouldn't say it was a bad score but it started when they were having that conversation Uh, it was just like poorly timed music and that's why i say the soundtrack itself might be great, but like the score and the timing of the score in relation to the movie is problematic. My mom made me point out that the most unrealistic part was them running through a cornfield because in her words, corn is sharp as shit yeah. and it would cut you if you were running through a cornfield like they were. This is a problem that we had with a previous movie that you pointed out and I, and I noticed it a lot during this movie, like the exposition dialogue. One of the people would be like, it's heading northeast or like, we're in the core or there are sisters like it was just like it was dialogue that was stating what was happening as opposed to like letting it happen so that kind of drove me crazy because there was a lot of that like it's shifting it could shift it's shifting now like it's going to shift like it was a whole bunch of that um so that's pretty much it for my trash you guys touched on the rest my treasure helen hunt I loved Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think his relationship with Aunt Meg, like when they're getting her out of the house, like him getting there and immediately on scene, like trying to get in the house to get her out, like just showed his level of like involvement in their lives. And then I actually liked Melissa leaving him and the way that she left him. I felt like it was very on par, very on character. She kept her integrity, everything. Right. right? Like she yeah. was like, I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Like, I'm leaving. Like, it was, like, I know she rubs people the wrong way, but I actually, like, had major respect for the way that she left. That's it for me. All right. Uh, my trash and treasure. Uh, I'm going to get into the trash first. It's going to be interesting right here. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. All right. So, Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy one. Up. We're going in. <laughs> suck zone. So, uh, getting into the suck zone, let's talk about this trash. Uh, Joe. <laughs> This man drove three hours to come get divorce papers and you haven't signed him yet. Like She you, doesn't want a divorce. I, I get that, but it's just kind of like he could have just sent like a lawyer or something. Like He doesn't need to go. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be there. So that's one thing I kind of, I don't understand is like, why does he have to drive three hours there with his fiance? Um, and then, you know, she does the stupid thing by putting her uh, her ring on her left hand from her right hand. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. to, to kind of front and be like, oh, she, she's got a good two. Also, uh, Bill, why do you bring your fiance to pick up your divorce papers? Like, that's I, a fuck you. It's a yeah. fuck you move. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's fucked up. Like, why would you do that to your ex? And also, why would you do that to your fiance? Why would you do that to both of these women? That's so stupid. But like in so Helen Hunt's asshole, defense, like she played it fucking cool. She's like, oh hey, Bill. Oh, yeah. I want to meet her. I think that that comes with their chemistry of like her knowing him and like fucking with him because he's like, no, 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 you don't need to meet her. I felt it was more insecurity on her part because the fact that she wouldn't she sign. She didn't trust him doing what he was going to do, right? No, she wouldn't. Which she had a point. <laughs> no, 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 no. She wouldn't She wouldn't sign the papers. She left one particular page unsigned to begin with. Rather than sign the paper right there, she chose to meet the woman. She puts the ring on her left hand. Like there, There's so much bullshit she throws in the way of getting this divorce over with. I feel like she's coming from an insecure place. Like it doesn't, so, it doesn't feel like it's coming from a mature place at the beginning. So I 100% agree with you, but why do you think she chose to sign the papers when they were at the drive-in? Oh, at the drive-in? Yeah, like why did she sign them then? I felt like they had that really big moment, like what's standing in front of you and it's me, you know, like kind of thing, like that whole exposition th- scene. And then she chose to sign them at the drive-in. I think it's just shitty writing. Like, I'm just going to chalk it up to that. It's just shitty writing. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. Well, because nothing movie. ever comes of it after that. And that's why I say, like, one, why include that in the movie? And two, why why did it... Well, one, why did it happen? And two, why did they include it? Yeah. Um, and then uh, they really they really try hard to make Melissa out to be the stuffy new girlfriend right from the beginning. They give her a high-maintenance haircut. They give her a country accent. They give her the all-white clothes. And, and the cell phone. Yeah, in contrast to everybody else's kind of more rugged, ragtag appearance. They make her sound stupid by asking all the questions, which are questions that anybody with half a brain would ask if they're you know, interested. Um, they give Bill a rather plain and boring job as a weatherman, which is supposed to be representative of the uh, mundane life that he's going to live if he leaves with Melissa. In addition, Melissa is a therapist, which in the 90s can be seen as a useless profession. I think there was a lot of stigma tied to going to see a therapist or being involved in therapy in general. So I think they they try their their hardest to make her out to be a joke. Uh, Also, when they go to Aunt Meg's house, she looks like she's never seen a country meal before. When they slap the potatoes on her plate, she just has this look like, oh my God, what is this? And I'm like, you have the most country accent in all of this cast. You've never seen like steak and eggs and mashed potatoes in your life. You're also an adult. Like I feel like you should have seen this at one point over your life. Yeah, every diner in America has this this breakfast option. So I I don't understand. Um, I don't like Dusty at all. Oh what? my Rude. god! Unpopular opinion. I don't like Dusty at all. He's in the suck zone. Um, I think you're in the suck zone. He's now, just Kerwin. he's just weird. You don't like Dusty. He's always he's always like touching on Melissa and whisper. he is a creepy with Melissa yeah he's he's real creepy with Melissa and I'm actually surprised the plot didn't go anywhere with that I'm surprised him and Bill didn't have any sort of beef but like the moment he meets Melissa he's just like all over her the whole movie which is weird so I'm just kind of like are you guys going somewhere with this are you not like I think you're supposed to think like he's an eccentric kind of harmless guy like. no I, I get that he's eccentric and harmless but I also realize that he's supposed to be the uh the, comic uh, relief. He's supposed to be the comic relief, and I don't find him funny in the slightest. Wow. Okay. Damn. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't find this dude funny at all. Like he's he annoys me. He reminds me of what's his face oh, from I the love National him. Treasure. What's his name? Riley. Riley. Yeah. Fuck that guy. I don't like him. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when they're taken off to see that first storm in the beginning of the movie, <laughs> one dude yells, "It's fatty time!" <laughs> and he keeps calling all the tornadoes fatties. He's like, yeah, there's a real fat one right there. Oh, look at the base of that. That base is so fat. He just 
He just, How did I miss this? He just caused, I missed that too. Like, yeah, I don't they're, know what you're they're about. literally running towards their cars to go chase the tornado, and one guy's just like, "Yeah, it's fatty time." I, we all missed this. I gotta watch Super this again random. now. Um, what version did you watch? I, <laughs> I watched the version that cost me way too much money. Um, so okay, so Bill, you know Bill's kind of arc with Jonas or his. I guess his relationship with Jonas or whatever. It's like you quit storm chasing to be a weatherman, right? Why are you trying to fight Jonas in a parking lot over over what? A profession you left? Jonas stole your tech. So what? You left the industry. You went to go do something else. Why are you trying to fight this dude now? Yeah. Like, you know, where are you? Where where are you in your headspace? Also, um, I thought scientists were more collaborative. I'm pretty sure that you guys didn't you know, steel tech or whatever, or maybe your research influenced his. And if he does have corporate sponsors, like Jonas never comes off as like a malicious type of character. He's just like another guy doing storm chasing. Like he never attacks them. He never berates them. The only time they even have a confrontation is because Bill runs up to him and assaults him. Like not once is Jonas a dick until after Bill assaults him. I think he's kind of a dick after that first tornado when he just drives by and there's shits everywhere. But I mean, like that's after Bill assaulted him, though. It's just like I wouldn't help these motherfuckers either after Bill assaulted me. It's kind of weird because I feel like their goal is probably the same, and we don't know Jonas's goal. But it's like we know that you know Bill and Joe's goal is to, you know, get better like reporting for the weather and for these tornadoes so they can give you know earlier warning signals. And it's like it's because Joe has gone through all this shit with her family when she was younger. And it's like if that's your ultimate goal, like who cares how you guys get there? Like collaborate or do something. I see your point. I see your point. Yeah. Um, when Bill crashes the truck, uh, Joe's truck, like an idiot, um, he and Joe get out of the vehicle. You know when they first hit that little bridge thing in yeah. the ravine or whatever. Um, when they get out of the car, Bill is just like, why can't we just spend a normal day together? And in my head, I'm just like, y'all shouldn't be spending any days together. Right. You're, you're broken up. Your fiance's in the other truck. Like, you shouldn't even fucking be here. You shouldn't be here at all, which is one thing I want to bring up. Like, what the fuck is the point of this movie? This guy drove three hours from wherever to, like, the butt fucking nowhere to go see his ex, who he's trying to divorce, and he brings his fiance. And instead of just getting these divorce papers signed and going home, he just says, hey, let's work. He just decides, let's work. That's like like me being a doctor, taking my fiance to the hospital to meet my doctor ex-wife, soon to be ex-wife. And get involved in surgery. And then then doing surgery, performing surgery. Like this, there's no, there's no reason for Bill to be involved, no. period, in this plot. They just happen to show up at the right time during all these tornadoes, and he just drags Melissa into this shitstorm. Like, Imagine being Melissa, too. She's probably fucking pissed. It's like, oh, you just hop in this truck with Joe and do that? It's like, we came down here to get these divorce papers signed. What the fuck are we doing right now? Yeah, and there's that scene where like they cut to Melissa, and like you can hear... Bill talking to Joe over the radio. Yes, and Melissa's like drenched in rain and she's listening to their conversation and it just cuts to her face and you can just tell like she's pissed. Yeah, this movie would have worked better if Bill was not a weatherman or not right. if he had not quit. Let's say he started his own research team, right? Let's say he got called in on assignment and he had to work with Joe. And for some reason, based on his new fiance's profession, his new fiance came along or was part of his team or something like that. If he was forced to work with Joe, this plot would make more sense. But like everything happening in this movie is voluntary. Every little thing happening in this movie is voluntary. So there's no risk. There's no reason for anybody to be a part of any of this shit. It just it doesn't make any fucking sense why Bill is sticking around. 
right. your paper, get your paper signed, and get the fuck out. Like, do you guys have plans tonight? Don't y'all have an apartment? Do you guys have like a like a movie or a dinner to get to? You guys drove three hours. Did you get a hotel? What is the plot of this movie? Why are you here? What is the motivation? This is kind of a treasure of mine, but shout out to Melissa for being secure enough to not mind going on an adventure with her fiance's ex. But I gotta give Melissa a little bit of trash though, because like she should have shut all that shit down the moment she realized that Joe was still in love with Bill when she kind of confronts her at the diner when they're getting the coffees or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah, like she she calls Joe out on it, like you're still in love with them. Melissa should have shut that shit down right away. But props to Melissa, you know, treasure for Melissa being mature enough to end their relationship the way she did. Mm-hmm. You know, most movies would go out of their way to make the uh, the new girlfriend crazy or yeah. or um, you know out of her mind. She's or not a bad girl. She's not a bad know. girl at all. She's, she's. I think she's annoying though. I don't find her to be annoying. I just find her circumstances to be annoying. I I actually feel for her because it's just like she's getting dragged into all of this. She's not saying, oh, my God, she's not being helpless. She's not she's not being, you know, um, annoying. It's just like this is something she's just not used to. And she just wanted to see what it was about. And she's a therapist, too. So she's she's used to asking questions. And that's where she's like, oh, I don't understand this. Please explain to me. Like, what is this? What does that mean? And it's like that kind of fits with her profession, fits with her character. Yeah, it might come off annoying, but it's like when you put in that perspective, it's like, okay, no, I get it. I get why she's asking questions. Yeah, she's, she's more a, than understanding in the situation too. Yeah. Like yeah. she gets in the car and he's like, I'm gonna go with Joe, you go with Dusty. I'd be like, fuck no, I'm not. Yeah, like, she's, she's being like reasonable to a fault almost. You oh, could right. Say. Yeah, yeah um, and then big trash to Bill for being a insensitive dipshit and dragging his fiance on this adventure chasing tornadoes with his ex for like 12 hours straight like you're dragging you're dragging this woman around who came with you to get divorce papers because y'all are engaged and you drag her around with who's supposed to be your ex-wife what what is going on you even take her to your your ex's aunt's house why poor judgment just sign the papers and get the hell out of there and then you leave her with dusty the worst person in this movie um (laughs) I thought Dusty was going to steal his girl. I got yeah. really excited. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, a lot of the things that you called out, Holly, just um, them being able to walk, run, and or drive while objects that are twice as massive are floating through the air. That doesn't make any sense from a, you know, from a scientific standpoint. Like, if a big rig's getting swept off the ground, your tiny little truck should be swept off the ground as well. Well, right. If a building's coming up behind you and you're still on the ground, like if fence posts are being pulled from the ground and being thrown throughout the air, like 110 pound Helen Hunt is, she's going up, like. Yeah, um, and then I got I got kind of tired of things just falling out of the sky. It's just like, we get it. Like things fall out of the sky, we fucking get it. It's a tornado. It's like, oh, a cow, and now a truck, and now a house. I, it just kind of got old after a while. Like at one point, um, one of the lines that annoyed me was uh, they were driving down the road and this truck fell in front of them. And I think Bill is just like, we should probably take another road. And I'm just like, probably shouldn't be out at all. But <laughs> what do you call a cow in a tornado? What? A milkshake. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, at the end of the movie, Joe and Bill are arguing about who's going to run the lab or whatever. And all I'm thinking to myself is like, doesn't Bill have a job as a weatherman he needs to get to pretty soon? <laughs> is he gonna quit that job? Is he gonna turn in his res- resignation? You know, what the fuck is going on with this? But um, 
one of the things I want to talk about though is um, does this movie even need Jonas or Melissa in it? Couldn't this movie just be about storm chasers? What is the focus of this movie? Is it about uh, Bill's relationship with Joe or is it about them going up against a rival storm chaser gang? Because like Jonas is introduced as an antagonist, but we don't have like an arc with him. Like you don't see him for most of the movie until he gets killed, right? Mm, yeah, and I mean, then, here and there, yeah. And then same thing with Melissa and Joe. You never feel like there's a rivalry or anything like that. You see things from Melissa's perspective, but like it has no real impact on the plot. So it makes me wonder like, did you need the Melissa angle? Did you need the Jonas angle? Like this movie has no main kind of driving human plot. It's like, yes, we're chasing bigger and bigger tornadoes, but what is the human element to this movie? Is it the rivalry? Is it the relationship? Because Melissa leaves the movie two thirds in, boom, done. But with Jonas, he just dies outright and they just find the big tornado. So like, what was it? I don't understand what the human plot of this movie is. So I don't understand why those were introduced. Uh, but getting down to what little treasures I have left besides Melissa, um, I mean, I'm glad they didn't kill Aunt Meg. She, I liked her. That's she was true. cool. Yeah, I liked Aunt Meg too. Who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and I like Mose. that. Yeah, and I kill Mose. I like that the horses lived at the end. Oh yeah. That's yeah, true. and I, I like that Aunt Meg's dog lived. Yes, I love it. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh that's my trash and treasure with this movie. Wow, that's all you're doing. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. Right, so let's uh, so uh, let's get into how much we would pay to watch Twister. Mugga, how much are you paying? Man, it's tough to go to Kerwin's. I, I don't mind this movie. I'm going to give it a low, low 10. I feel like it's it's entertaining for what it does. Mm-hmm. I think the cast, whatever it does, I it's, it's on. I'll watch it. I, I'm going to give it a low 10. So, uh, Holly Murphy, how much are you paying? I would give it a high five. Like I said, like I, I didn't really go into this movie with a lot of agenda to criticize or like look for things which is a fault of mine but um i mean i did find it entertaining however it's probably not my first choice to watch um and like if it was on tv i'd watch it but again i'm not gonna like go out of my way to watch it but it it did have some entertaining points and i'll give it credit so five okay uh jason how much are you paying to watch twister I want to go 10 as well. Um, I, I like the movie. I think there's some parts that I, I like a lot, some parts that I feel like could have been left out or improved. Um, my experience, I think, adds to it as well. But yeah, I think I'm just going to go solid 10. Holly Hart, how much are you paying? I am going to go the opposite of Holly Murphy and give it a low five just because I spent three ninety nine to rent it and I felt like it was a waste. So low five. Okay. Um, yo, look, I think we talked about this in pre-production, but like this movie is basically Jurassic Park with tornadoes instead of dinosaurs. Like when you really think about it, it's the lost world with tornadoes. Like it's almost the exact same thing. It's two exes going on a mission with creatures and they have to fight a more technologically advanced team in gen. Like Jonas's team is in gen. It's literally the lost world. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, lost world is a movie I like. This is a movie I don't like. So I'm not paying anything to watch this movie. Wow. Like I get oh it. It's a God. it's a tropey nineties movie, but there's better tropey nineties movies. Like You're gonna get the zero, really. I, I don't I'm perfectly fine not watching this again. And I was bummed out watching this movie. I was just like, Jesus I can't believe Christ. I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this fucking movie. Like I was like, this movie's not good. Like this movie's <sighs> not good. I, I'm not entertained by it. I liked it when I was a kid, but I watch it now and I'm just like Jeez, like this movie is two hours long. Yo, this movie could have been like an hour 30. There's a lot of shit that just doesn't go anywhere. I don't find any of the characters funny. Okay, 
hold that. I okay, real quick. I do like Bill Paxton and uh, Helen Hunt's chemistry. They have undeniable chemistry. I do like some characters, but I find Philip Seymour Hoffman's character to be fucking annoying. Really? He doesn't make me laugh at all. I, this movie doesn't make me laugh at all, like at all. I don't like the special effects, and I understand that for the time, a lot of the shit was brand new. But like the action is weak as fuck. The choreography is weak as fuck. Everything about this movie screams made for television. This is some shit you see on the CW on like a Thursday evening. I'm giving this movie zero dollars. Well, that brutal rating. We uh, we we will pay to watch this movie for six dollars. Six dollars. We're giving Twister. What a twist! Wow. <laughs> I thought it would have been higher. What you? What do you think? I thought. Well. Kerwin's I was not expecting. I was not. Yeah. I, I, was I, expecting, five. I was expecting a couple Holly, fives. I thought you would have given it a ten. Mm. No. Nah, this wow. this movie this movie fucking sucks. Man. I think watching it I again and guys. just like seeing like it has not aged well. I no. disagree. I okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst movie. It's not the I've worst seen. movie. We've so given movies. I, I've yeah. given a movie a zero. I mean, like, this is yeah. just like Yo, look, Elf is it's, great. It's not, it's not the worst movie. I've never given Elf a zero. No. It's not the worst movie I've seen. Trust right. me. But it's just like you're asking me to pay to watch this. I ain't paying shit. Like I, I had to pay yeah. three ninety nine to watch this. I'm still salty. So yeah, but um. Things that don't make me feel salty. Uh, one of those is Tom Cruise. Yes. Yes. So if uh, Tom Cruise was in Twister, who would he be, Mugga? You can't go Bill Paxton. You, you can't. can't. So I'm going. Don't you dare. I have to. Come on, man. What are you going to pick? The the other guy, the villain, the guy God, from Princess Bride. Jonas? I mean, yeah, Jonas. You got to go Mugga. Jonas, mm-hmm. man. What right. do you mean, no? Who else is he going to be? He can't oh, be I've the got, tornado. I've got one. We're going to go around, but I've got right, one. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go Jonas. You right. have to. Okay, uh, Jason, what about you? Okay, well, I was going to say Jonas, but now that Muggery said Jonas, um, i got to think of someone else. So, um, Just go Jonas again. We can be on the same same page. Yeah, I was going to say he could be the tornado. But yeah, no, I'm going to go I'm gonna go Jonas. I'll say he can be Jonas. All right. Uh, I'm going to say either Jonas or I don't want to say Dusty. You want to say Dusty though? Huh? No, I, I fucking hate. You hated. I ha- I fucking hate Dusty, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have him be Bill. I'll have Tom Cruise be Bill. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, Holly Hart, what about you? I'm gonna say that Tom Cruise plays the male version of Aunt Meg that's serving steak and eggs that Dusty loves, so he could be like Uncle Steve. Like Uncle Steve? Yeah, instead of Aunt Meg. Well, you don't want him to be called Uncle Tom. Trust me. You don't <laughs> want that shit. All right. Um, Holly Murphy, how about you? If I could put a Tropic Thunder situation, I would make um, Tom Cruise dusty. I love Ooh. Philip Seymour Hoffman, but if, I, if we can put him in a fat suit, make him a little awkward, I think he could pull that off, too. Make him a little creepy, because he was a little creepy in Tropic Thunder with his character. That's what I would pick. I agree. Okay. So uh, anybody got anything else? Nope. All right. So uh, in the words of Tom Cruise. Fuck you, Sally. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Huh. <laughs> nah, see? You never take me alive. Nah, see? Hurry, Johnny, get in the car. The sherry tops are coming. Nah, see? Just we didn't got the crap.
credit. Sorry. <laughs> Is it sounding okay? You sound like shit. That sounds about right. <laughs> Just kidding. Is my ear against somebody's ass? Because it sounds like shit. <laughs> That's what I was ready to hear. More PPG. That PPG, that penises per gallon. 128 ounces of dude. <laughs> Me and my friends, we used to have this thing called scolomosis, where like your dick was crooked instead of your spine. So whenever we'd be like, oh, this nigga got scolomosis. So we'd be like this, he has to hit his <laughs> sideways like that. And you guys said I'm fucked up, okay. <laughs> well, fuck sideways. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you got the <laughs>